So starting next Sunday, following the worship gathering, Charmaine, Lou, and myself, and I'm also looking for another sponsor, are going to uh, take our youth through the Youth Alpha course that's been reworked and done, some really amazing stuff. And so if you are uh, a youth or interested in Youth Alpha, we will be doing that uh, in the basement of the the house across the lawn there, the parsonage, the church house there. Uh, And so I want to invite you to get involved with that. And there's some great questions. We'll be spending some weeks going through that, sort of building our foundations or rediscovering some of the basics uh, of Christianity and building on that. So please um, consider coming out to that. If you are a youth, uh, this is for you. Um, The other thing I want to say, too, is that my home church, which meets on Wednesday nights, is doing a doors open event here with this building on uh, the October 31st, and so as you know, more commonly known as Halloween, but October 31st, uh, we have literally have neighbors that are coming to our doors during the, that night, and what an opportunity to uh, invite, so we want to hand out candy, and have we'll have some Pilgrim Church invites as well with each piece of candy, but if you want to help with that, help our home church with that, you are invited to do that, uh, but we will be doing that probably roughly between 5.30 and 8.30 p.m. that night. Um, if you are in a neighborhood, and when I became a Christian, it was in a, in a small church, uh, charismatic Pentecostal church, and we basically pulled the blinds and shut off the lights and prayed that the demons wouldn't rule the night. Uh, and while there's some logic to that, especially if you came out from, came from the occult and you were involved in, in witchcraft and things that you're supposed to take off as a Christian, uh, makes total sense. But you know what? 99% of our church wasn't out of the darkness of the darkest occult practices. They were believers who are full of the Spirit of God. So we should, Jesus was stronger in them than whatever demon might be wandering the halls or the streets of the world. And so a better response is when, when, this this celebration, this cultural celebration is literally bringing the neighbors to your door. I, I would suggest that you grab a stack of pilgrim invite cards. There still are some left on the table in the lobby. You tape it on every piece of candy, and you get good candy, not that nasty bad stuff. You get good candy, and you give it out to everybody, and you invite them to consider Jesus in one way or the other. Um, and I just encourage you, you got to tape it on the candy though, because if you hand them out separately, I know from experience, this does not work well. And you may get some in the lawn in the morning. It's okay. You got other things in the lawn. It's time to clean the lawn. It'll be fine. Right? So I encourage you take advantage of this. What other time of year do people literally come to your door, uh, knocking on your door, uh, albeit to get something from you. Uh, but you can give more than candy, right? So I encourage you to consider that in your neighborhood if you're not helping here on that evening. Um, and, of course, if you came out of the occult, witchcraft, Satanism, uh, maybe you do need to have a time of devotion and set aside for the Lord. I don't want to actually downplay that because there are folks that may have been involved in practices that Scripture tells us uh, we should should flee from, and that may pull you and draw on some wrong things. Uh, fair enough. But if that's not you... Uh, use this opportunity, use this cultural opportunity to invite people to Jesus and to consider church and to show a face of Jesus uh, that helps them say, oh, it's plausible. This, this person's my neighbor and they're a Christian. It might, they're, they're, that's, they're, so I know somebody who's a Christian. Um, that's huge in post-Christian society. So I encourage you to find those ways of extending that, even that superficial level of hospitality. Um, okay? Okay, enough of that. All right. So this morning we're going to jump in with a sermon on the last of three in vision, mission, and values at Pilgrim Church. The board and a team called the Vision Team out of the retreat that was last fall where there was 
25, 30 pilgrim people there worked through and discussed this idea of who are we as a church? Who are we becoming? What, is, what, what needs to guide us moving forward in this next season of life as a church? And so after these people have gone through all this, they, they, they formed a mission and vision and value statement. And that's what I've been sort of unpacking over the last few Sundays. By the way, I hope you enjoy it having Pastor John from Ebenezer here. I heard he did a wonderful job and it was a good message. Yes. Okay. All right. Yay. All right. Uh, and then I had a couple people ask me if I asked him to speak on the topic he chose. And I said, no, I did not at all. He chose his topic entirely. Uh, and so if any of you thought I was doing anything behind the scenes, sorry, I, I hate to disappoint you on that one. Uh, but it was a joy also to represent uh, us and be at Ebenezer as well that Sunday for me. And um, definitely glad to be back here as well. So this morning, we're going to look at this vision, mission, values piece, and we'll do a little bit of review, and then we're going to jump into the values that have been named, uh, and that's sort of honed down from a list of 25 or 30 different values, trying to identify some of the core ones uh, moving forward. If you were in home church this week, one of the discussion questions for sort of opening the conversation was, if your house was on fire and you had just a little bit of time to go back and grab three objects. What objects would they be? The house is on fire. You have just a, a, a minute or two to run back in and grab three things. What would they be? And that question sort of makes me think of uh, people who actually had to do this. In 2017 in California during the wildfire season, there was a question that was asked of several people, what do you grab? As flames barrel towards their home, and this was reported in the San Francisco Gate paper in October, sort of uh, asking people, and they had 15 minutes, in some cases 15 seconds, to grab what they needed. What did you grab? The Gate paper found from a musician opted for going and getting their violin. They went for their instrument, their violin. A golfer went back and grabbed his golf clubs. A bride-to-be remembered her dress. I can't even imagine with all the drama that we hear about the dress, however and whatever. She went back got her dress. A mini dived for the practical, the toiletries and the clothes. Others fumbled through boxes, old photo albums. I know in our home church, several people mentioned photos that had not been digitized, uh, being, being wonderful memories. A one woman grabbed diapers, wipes, and clothes for her kids, but nothing for herself. An 82-year-old woman grabbed her walker and, of all things, a hairbrush, but her forgot her husband's thyroid medication. Priorities, right? You know, okay. If I have my hair combed, I can always get a new husband. I mean, I don't. I, that, that, she did not say that. <laughs> uh, as Tanya Whitaker, uh, thirty-one, age thirty-one, sat with her kids on a blanket in the corner of Petuluma Community Shelter, her voice quivered as she went down a list of things that could currently have been in flames during the fire: sonograms, uh, her children's first teeth. She saved umbilical cords the new bike her older son recently got for his seventh birthday, and all of his unopened presents. The article goes on and says, at least one man, age 57, Michael uh, Dornbach, died, died, refusing to leave something behind. And I just imagine this in like a South Dakota or Southern redneck voice. He said, I'm not leaving without my truck. Dornbach told his nephew, who begged him to flee without the vehicle, But he died, didn't get the truck out. A clinical psychologist noted, we are so used to being in control and so used to making decisions all the time 
But in situations like these, when our lives are reduced to what we can grab in 30 minutes or less, we have to live with the consequences of our decisions under stress, under duress, and then we question ourselves. I asked this question this morning, and I I share that as sort of opening to say this. If Pilgrim Church, if this church ceased to exist, burned down, literally, spiritually, metaphorically, what would we want to grab, to take with us, to focus on something new? Put another way, what values, what things would we say we absolutely need to have to continue on in a new way? What would we grab spiritually? And in defining, again, for this season, our mission, a vision, and values, we're saying these things are the things we would grab. If this building, if this current organization ceased, but all of us were committed to being a church and to follow through with our relationships, what are those things that would be most important? My guess is there's a lot of stuff that would not make the cut. Or a few of us might be like Mr. What was his name again? Michael Dornbach, who decided, I'm going down with the truck. If the truck doesn't go, I'm not going. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord, I hope that wouldn't be any of us. But I've been around human nature long enough to know there'd probably be a few of us that would be clinging on to something. I don't know what it would be. Maybe it would be this bass speaker for some of the tech people. Maybe it would be this communion table. I don't know. I'm going down with the speaker, okay? But we're called to have clarity, Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, as he begins his public ministry, beautiful passage where he's quoting from the servant song from Isaiah 61 and in those chapters, and, and he's pulling from that. And to begin his public ministry, he enters his local synagogue, his local place of worship. And that day, the scripture reading, serendipitously or sovereignly by the very will of God, because Jesus, of course, is, was God, part of the Trinity, The reading is there from the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to set the release of the captives free, to declare the, and I'm summarizing it, to declare the year of the Lord's favor. And as he begins his public ministry in the synagogue in Capernaum, he sets, stops the reading of the scroll, of the scroll of, of the Old Testament, and this was a prophet reading, and he reads the prophet, and then he says to them in the synagogue, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Having clarity about mission and vision and values is something, well, that's modern language, it's a very ancient concept, and we see it in Jesus' life and ministry. To review, we've talked about the mission of our church, and every healthy local church in some way, shape, or form has the same basic mission, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, Matthew 22 and Matthew 28. If you're following along, this is the review part of the outline that you have in your newsletter this morning. In the mission, Jesus tells the disciples at the end of his public ministry, by the way, the works that I've done, you are to do also, and I'm going to spell them out for you. And Jesus gives them clarity by saying, uh, entrapped by the Sadducees and the religious folk who wanted to say it all is the same, all of the laws of the Old Testament are the same, Uh, the 636, something like that, laws. They tried to entrap him, and in Matthew 22, Jesus says, no, the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all that you are. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In these two commandments is the summary of all of the Old Testament is the point that it is aiming for, is proper love and love towards God. 
That's a beautiful statement. And it's something that we live our whole lives fleshing out, the mission of every church. And our church, the vision team, the board, the people who were working with some of this back in the retreat, said, let's just use the words of Jesus for our mission, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And then the Great Commission comes up in Matthew 28. So Jesus gives us clarity on how do we prioritize what we do and how we believe. And then he said this at the end of Matthew After his resurrection, he comes back to earth, reveals his resurrected body and himself to to many, many followers. We read about this in several books of the New Testament. And in that time, he also teaches the disciples. And he said, now, I want you to go, therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune God, three in one, one in three. And he promises that he will be with us as we are on his mission. Beautiful promise. Beautiful clarity. And this is part of what every local church exists to do, to be on the business, about the business of Jesus until he comes again. And he promises in the meantime that he's going to be with us by the Holy Spirit. If we want the power of the Holy Spirit to work in the church, then we have to be about Jesus, the Lord of the church, his business, his commission, his commandments. And that means that churches are places that when they are healthy, they are not about member preference and style first. They are about Jesus' mission and commandment. And what will help us fulfill that should be the burning thing that we have passion for and love and joy and seriousness about. That should be the thing that grabs our heart and mental and emotional energy, the things that Jesus tells us should be at the top of the heap. When churches are in decline and there's dysfunction and toxicity, often these things are just given lip service. Yeah, 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 let's get on to the real discussion. The pastor's style or the whatever. Pick a hundred thousand different things. And so it's important that we have clarity on that. The second thing by way of review is the vision of the church, if you're following along. So our mission, as I said here, is Jesus' great commission and great commandment. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40 Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. And this is important to have clarity. Like, what is the church about? We're about Jesus and what he tells us to be about. Number one. And then we flesh that out. How do we love our neighbor well? How do we engage our city? How do we exist for those around us? And we see that with us locally at Pilgrim as we define that. And we are just calling that a vision statement. We aspire. We lean into. We desire to move in this direction. One author put it this way, when done right, a vision statement can and helps should drive decisions and goals in a church, in an organization, in a company, in your life. This is applicable across all kinds of things, this idea of declaring what is the thing you're aspiring to and leaning into for your life and for the future. And local churches need to do this as well. Nelson and Apple, some church folks, wrote, we nearly always turn down change because of the cost for return ratio doesn't seem right. But what we fail to measure, because it's often immeasurable, is the high cost of not making change. When we say no to sensible but faith-stretching improvement in life and ministry, we never fully understand how expensive they truly are. You see, there's a cost for living in a paralysis state. We know in the natural body that when we experience, and I love the fact that, that uh, our sister is here today who is recovering from her stroke, and she's here, uh, Kitty, Kateria. Uh, sorry, I was trying to search for your full name there, but Kitty came out. So, uh, and she's recovering from a stroke. 
And you know uh, what they're doing? They're working her through physical therapy. They're trying to get the brain to find new paths and new ways to rewire in the part that was damaged. They are getting her uh, supports and things that she can use to build up her muscle strength, to build up her mental work. And sometimes it's hard work. It's painful work, she tells me. It's work that's tiring work. But she has seen some progress since from when she was in hospital from the original uh, event. There has been movement forward. And thank God for that. And I would like to say, and and please extend your grace towards me, Kitty, that in some ways that's like our church. If we experience something that we didn't expect, something that is destructive in our own body, within us, the thing that's supposed to be for us, and we can decide, I'm just going to let it be, or we can say, I'm going to do the work of Jesus, the great physician that he has for us to bring healing and health, to rewire some things in our brains that need to be rewired, and to regain the strength so we can get on with the mission of that he has called us to, the mission of life that he's called us into. We have a choice to make. If she chose to say, I'm never getting out of this bed, I'm never going to do anything else, and, and yet she had some of that new life coming in, she would not be sitting here this morning. But thanks be to God, she made the choice, I'm going to fight as long as I have life and breath, and and have the fullness of life that I can have. And she's here today. But too many in the church say, no, I'm just going to just bring it to me in the bed. And you know what happens if my father was a nursing home administrator for years and years and years? You know what happens if you never get up out of the bed because your life went a different direction than you thought. You develop bed sores. You develop a whole bunch of other issues. And then you begin to normalize that in your mind and say, this is is how it's going to be. Don't give up the fight until... Until the, the Lord says it's over. It's not over till the Lord says it's over. Well, that wasn't in my notes, but it's good. I, I'll take it. Uh, so a vision is a mental picture of a preferred future. The vision team, made up of many people who are leaders, and some of our younger leaders as well, said we, lo- we exist. We'll throw this up on a screen. It's in your outline. We exist to love our city and to invite our neighbors to flourish by rooting our lives in the outrageous love and life of Jesus. Now, the language shifted from the mission. The mission is good old-fashioned biblical language. The vision is intentionally language that anybody who understands uh, English could, could grasp, or we can translate it in any language, but common language words that work in any language. We exist to love our city. Keyword love, crucial, because that's defin- the, the defining aspect of the New Testament. Jesus gives us the law of love. Uh, and then he fleshes out with his life and his teachings. What does that mean? It's not just an emotion. It certainly has things that we do, enabled by his grace. To love our city, to invite our neighbors to flourish, invite the hospitality of God, making outsiders insiders is a huge part of the vision of Pilgrim Church. If I were to sum up our vision in like even buzzword even shorter, outsiders into insiders, love our city, invite our neighbors to flourish. And that invite is also making our lives missional and hospitable, engaging, To flourish. What are we inviting them to? Well, first I want to begin with a word that everyone would kind of understand. Something flourishing, something doing well, something that a non-Christian would get. To flourish by rooting our lives in the outrageous love and life of Jesus. Now I can hear the part of my brain that was raised in fundamentalist Pentecostalism say, you need some more words about judgment, wrath, and sin. I hear that part of my brain. Yes, yes, yes. But there's an old saying, it's easier to woo people with honey, right? We want to start with the part of the gospel that can gain a hearing for the rest of it. 
We know if you are a believer, what stands in the way of your flourishing is if you continue to cling onto sins and destructive tribalism and things that break down individually and corporately the unity of humanity through God's love in Jesus Christ. You know that, but it takes time for some people to get there, particularly if they've experienced a harsh religious experience, whether it was Christianity or Islam or or, or varieties of Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever. They've experienced that harshness or harshness within pop atheism. And they say, well, if... If pop atheists are hard and harsh and mean, why would I want to join Christians that are hard and harsh and mean? It's the same coin, different sides. I'm preaching to somebody here today. This is good stuff. You see, we have this statement because it's forward-looking. It's forward-looking in terms of seeing our neighbors no longer estranged from Jesus, but flourishing in Jesus. It's forward-looking in terms of what you can become. It is rooted in the faith, hope, and love, that triad that the Apostle Paul speaks about, about what Jesus is all about. If you have a taste of the power of God's love in Jesus manifested by the Holy Spirit, your sins will be exposed. You can't get close to the hot, hot, white, hot love of God and those other things not come out and say, whoa, but now you have motivation to want to change. Now you have grace working in you and on you and you are cooperating with his grace and in that you see life change. But if I just beat you down ahead of time and leave you as a pulp lying on the floor, I'm doing no better than the devil himself who seeks condemnation to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not helping you come to truth. I got to preach truth in a way that you can hear it and begin to walk in it and experience for yourself. And in post-Christendom Canada and the United States, the church has to change its tone. Speaking the truth in love, Paul says, that we might grow up into all things and into Christ who is the head. Being rooted and grounded in love. If I speak the truth to you, but I don't think you give a rip about me, We haven't advanced any relationship, have we? And I'm a pastor with a bit of a prophetic edge. I'm preaching to myself here. If I tell you all the things you're doing wrong, but you don't know if I actually care for your flourishing, are you really going to listen to what I say? You would rather make a thousand bad decisions all day long until you know, is this person for me? Do they care that I flourish? It is true of every non-believer And person who's curious about Jesus as well. Boy, I'm spending more time on the vision than I thought. This is the summary part. And who are we rooting in? Jesus. Well, there's the one Christianese, fully spiritual, religious, whatever you want to say, word there, the name of Jesus. Well, at the end of the day, any vision, any mission, any value, it's all about Jesus if it's a Christian church. All about Jesus. It's not about this building. It's not about the styles. It's about Jesus. He's the Lord of the church. We are his bride is the New Testament language until he comes again to claim the whole church, the imagery of the bride and the groom and the life of the world to come that happens when he returns. It's Jesus. So let's get to the values and then we'll uh, land this this morning. If you're... um, Think about that question. If your house was burning down, what three things would you go back or your place of wherever you live, your room, your dorm, apartment, condo, whatever? Anybody want to volunteer just before we get to these values and want to name here? What would you run back and get? House is on fire. What are you getting? My driver's license. Thank you. 
Got the whole, all the info right there. House is burning down. What are you grabbing? The dog. In our home church, we assume that all people and pets were, we, we, but fair enough. Maybe the husband tried to leave the dog behind. Oh, okay. No. That's awful. Sorry to my PETA friends. Forgive me. That would be unethical for sure. What, what, anyone else want to shout? What would you leave? The house is burning down. What would you run back and get? The Bible. Oh, you're just going for brownie points. <laughs> it's got family records in it. I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We assumed that all the living folks got out, but yeah, okay. At least you didn't say you were taking him back in. So these values, let us move on and get to the last few minutes here. The values, so you have mission at the top, vision is more local, what are we leaning towards in a big picture? The values start to flesh that out even more, and then eventually you develop strategies and goals for what we do in each season of the church. But values are sort of one more thing that help guide that and form how we do this vision. How do we, what are some things that continue to define this love, invite, flourish, and root in Jesus? Love, invite, flourish, and root in Jesus, or root. How do you say that? I'm still learning Canadian English. If you're going to plant something in the ground. Is it root? Root. Okay, right. Root, route, root. That also has another, well, okay, we, we get lost in that. I've only been here a year and a couple months. Well, I lived in Toronto for about a year, but... everything's different there. It's like a whole other country. Um, And so this informs us, how do we live this vision out? And core values help shape the culture of the church. There's a saying in the business world that says, culture trumps strategy all of the time, or culture eats strategy for breakfast. And by culture, they mean each organization, every group of people, certainly different ethnic cultures could play into that as well. And when we're coming to Jesus, we need to be aware of that, the good things and the things that Jesus challenges Uh, in our cultures of origin. But in the church, each local church develops a culture as well. And if that culture isn't addressed and changed, it doesn't matter how wonderful the vision statement is, how wonderful the mission statement is. Uh, It doesn't want the values and and the strategies and the goals will always, the the tail will wag the dog. The culture that is in the church will dominate. That's why some churches absolutely bomb at trying to revitalize and turn around because they don't deal with the cultural things that have been so embedded in the past And some of those cultural things can be good and brought into the future, and some of them just can't because they will default. So values help us honestly say we must reshape the culture of our church. Now, hopefully there's some alignment with values of things that are good in the church already. There are some fundamental... uh, Robert uh, Ronald Keener was interviewing a church consultant, Sam Chan, talking about what what about church cultures. There's a good thing as a healthy culture and an unhealthy culture. He said, there's no such thing as a good or bad culture because culture is about groups of people, but it's about healthy or unhealthy. There are pieces of our church culture that are unhealthy and pieces that are healthy. And our values help name the healthy things that we want to build and grow into as well and shape the vision. He said, when there's an unhealthy church culture, there's some common things that happen. There's a lack of communication. There's turf battles. There's fear Uh, There's super controlled areas. There's no freedom to experiment. There's lack of leadership development. There's ministry silos. There's suspicion. There's slow decision-making leading to denial, 
by delay or what we might say organizational paralysis. He says, question was, where do culture and vision intersect? What a, how does this culture piece work with the vision of a church? He said, culture is the most crucial component of the church. If good steak, I love this image, if a good steak or vegetarian steak, if, if the most delicious looking steak is vision, oh, look at that vision, that is awesome. I, I cannot wait to let that vision be a part of me and internalized in me. That good steak is vision, then the culture is the plate that it's served on. All of the stuff that helps us and forms and shapes it. Are you going to eat that best-looking steak or pick your favorite food, whatever it may be? Are you going to eat it if it's just slap on a dirty floor? Or if the plate looks like nobody's washed it in a generation? (laughs) So culture matters. Another example is if you were to receive a kidney transplant but your body's unhealthy, it will reject the kidney. He says that's why so many churches need to become intentional about creating a healthy culture as the heart of the organization. And there's so much more I can say about that. But let me give you the list of values if you want to move on to that part of the outline. There are five values that the church identified that are at the top of the heap And one of the questions in home church discussion this week or next is when these values compete, because sometimes they don't always align neatly, how are you going to discern which value trumps the other one? Or how are you going to integrate them? And I hope you solve that in home church, because I'm not going to solve it for you in the sermon. But there are five values that were identified by this team. Number one is authentic community. If you're awake, would you say authentic community? And the, and the sentence the team came up with or the, or the explanation is this. Meaningful relationships matter. Meaningful relationships. Because of Jesus, we're spiritual family. And we believe that it's vital for people to gather regularly in small group settings and larger community where we provide places that are safe to question and connect deeply with others. And I'm not going to tease all that out, but I think that's baseline for most churches. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be real. There's a bunch of scriptures there that you can look up later, but I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I love what he said. Think about our vision and mission. And think how we might spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the final day approaching. The temptation is to jettison community. Community and home church, it's not just another ministry. It's a core fabric, home groups, about who we are. We go deeper in that. And this accomplishes some things really well that don't happen in a small group as well. But there's that piece of community where we go deeper. You don't experience authentic community in a Sunday gathering. That's not the main purpose of this. This is declaring the lordship of Jesus Christ, worshiping together, having common teaching and wrestling together. But then we go deeper in those other groups. So authentic community matters, meaningful relationships. Our churches die from superficial relationships. We let our mouths shoot off things we will never say if it's not an authentic relationship. Matthew 18 says, if, if your brother has offended you, you have an offense or your brother has an offense against you, says, you go to them. Leave your gift at the altar. Go to them. Authentic community matters. I mean, if it's abuse or toxicity, the rules change, but that's like less than 99% of the time. Go to the person first. Matthew 18, Jesus' teaching. You know your workplace and your neighborhood. 
gets all kinds of bad vibes and bad toxic community when everybody gossips about everybody else without actually talking to the person in your workplace practice the teachings of Jesus. Authentic community. I wanted to give you an Amish illustration, but I went long, so I'm going to go to the second one. Diversity. The second value is diversity. We want to reflect the kingdom that we belong to as believers. And hear this, which is made up of people from all walks of life. Jesus meets us wherever we are on our spiritual journey. His love brings us together across social, cultural, and generational divides. If you don't like diversity, you will not like Christianity. Put another way. We're all about tearing down walls for the sake of people coming alive in Jesus first instead of all the other claims on our identity. And those things we can celebrate, but they are second to the identity we have in Jesus. He makes us brothers and sisters across all lines. The key verse for this morning's sermon is Galatians 3.28. For in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Within the ancient world of Judaism, it was Jew and everybody else. So Gentile meant all of everybody else. Jew nor Gentile, whether slave nor free, sort of the economic issues of the day, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ. So kingdom diversity is different than necessarily liberal or conservative political views of diversity. It's rooted in the claims of Jesus and his claims on all of us. And so we believe that's important. I have many friends who are church planters, whether it's in a a monocultural group of one or the other, but the first generation of churches tend to be very homogenous. They're looking the same, same language, particularly in immigrant congregations. And most of us in here are first, second, third generation immigrants to Canada. But it's the second and third generation. The first generation, you have to do that just to survive, and the church also becomes sort of a community center in the sense of anybody who is from that particular people group or language group. But that's not healthy to keep that going for generations. I know in the alliance where I've served, the pastors and churches wrestle with that second and third generation. You know what happens when churches tend to cling tenaciously to being, we're going to be one people group and one language group uh, only within a sub thing, and you get into second and third generation is they usually lose their kids to the world. Not all the kids, but a lot of the kids. Part of that's because they're demonstrating, one hand, something very kingdom. We're gonna, we need to gather together. We need to reach people of our singer culture that are moving into a new location. But the problem is, as kids experience, their, they, they become bicultural or tricultural kids. If the kingdom values don't kick in and say, it's actually more important that our primary identity is in Jesus and we celebrate our cultures, something gets lost. And many of them just say, well, if Christianity is just a social extension or a cultural club of my people that I came from, then I don't need Christianity. That's optional. Something gets lost in the gospel. And many churches struggle with that. So diversity that's kingdom-centered is a value of our church. Oh, there's more I could, that's a whole sermon. Third, moving on, we're almost done. Uh, Give me a minute or two, I'm almost done. Biblical truth, we're guided and grounded by Jesus as revealed in Scripture. And this is sort of in the center of the list. You can see that as the peak of the mountain of the list or the center of the list. But the Scripture is central to what we wrestle with. Through the Scripture, which is the top of the heap, the tradition of Christianity, the good parts of it, the reason and experience that God gives us, all of these things work together in how we experience the truth of the Bible in our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that you might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is the center. And each one of these values I'll probably do a whole sermon on in the future, but we talk about Scripture a lot and how we understand it's being authoritative in our lives. And the last two, quickly, 
are prayer and transformation. Would you say with me prayer and transformation? Prayer is where we align ourselves with God's purpose and power. We align through prayer and God is actively speaking to us and desires for us to hear and respond. He invites all of us to be in a relationship with him through prayer. Jesus said when he cleared out the temple courts that his house was to be, his father's house was to be a house of prayer for the nations. Israel had forgotten its vocation. It had gotten too inward focused, too us versus the world instead of understanding the mission of God revealed to the prophet Isaiah and all the way back to Abraham that your descendants would be and your sins are not just ethnically Israel but all people. And prayer is how we align ourselves with him. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, Paul said. And then finally, transformation. Jesus changes everything. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up during this last one. Transformation. Jesus changes everything. We are saved from the power of sin by his death and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit does an ongoing work that we reflect the fullness of Jesus. Jesus isn't just a tack-on to our lives. He isn't just an additional option. He wants to change how we do humanness, how we live as human beings. We are under the bondage of sin and death, the scripture tells us, but in Christ, he takes on the power of death and sin and frees all humanity now to respond freely to his grace. This is done in the cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's different metaphors and images for that initial work, whether it's being delivered from the penalty of sin, whether it's being ransomed from the the work of the enemy and the forces of evil in the world, whether it's being uh, aware that uh, Jesus has been enthroned as Lord over all, he is the victor over all. There's different aspects of how we talk about this, but this is about the atonement, the justification of God, and that we are then we are invited into a journey of life change in him. C.S. Lewis talks about if you were to see a human being in the future revealed fully as they are spiritually, that you wouldn't even recognize one another because of the glory of God and his desire. But we begin that journey now in this, this earth. Transformation, Jesus changes everything. When the church forgets this and we simply become a club or we become focused on a lot of other things that aren't these core things, I think the enemy delights in that. If he can get us off mission, off values, off vision, he can get us distracted by a lot of other stuff. Stuff that doesn't change people's lives. But this stuff changes lives. And so, beloved of the Lord, we want these things to be at the core of who we are as a pilgrim church people. These things will be on our website. These things should be things we will see in banners and in the newsletter and everything we communicate. And these things should be in your life and on your heart and mind about who we are as a people and who we're aiming to be. This is who we are called to be for this season. Every piece of it is rooted in Scripture. Every piece of it is rooted thoroughly in the history of Christianity. And some of it is within our DNA going back to our founding as well. So stand with me this morning. We're going to pray and then sing our way out. That's what happens when I go be a guest in another place. I just feel like I've got to give you more because you missed me. I took my glasses off so I don't have to see your expressions. 
I just imagine you're all smiling at me <laughs> with fuzzy faces. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you for this people you're calling at Pilgrim. And the best is yet to come in you. It always is. Now, we have a choice whether or not we want to be a part of that or not, but the best is always yet to come in you, Lord. And so, as we work through these things and we unpack them, not just in these three sermons, but over the course and in drips and drabs throughout other messages and in service and in action, uh, Lord, weave them into our hearts. That when we say, who is Pilgrim Church? We don't say all of those other things. We don't talk first about the worship or the preacher or the carpet or the building or the history, but we talk about you, Jesus. Well, we're about Jesus. We're about his life and teachings. We want all people to flourish. We want to invite all people to flourish. We want to be hospitable. We want to learn how to love well because this world is so riven and divided by the works of darkness in our hearts. We want to, we want to be a people who are a laboratory of that. We want to turn outsiders into insiders. We want to be a true spiritual family. Yes, we love our natural families and cultures. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we know that there's a greater family that he calls us into as well. And that actually will help our own families flourish more, ironically, when they're no longer an idol. So, Lord, continue your deep work in this house. We know it's three steps forward, two steps backwards, but we're going to keep moving (laughs) in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us this morning?